2: giving practical advice to entrepreneurs and business leaders and how to take your company, firm, or practice to that next level with less stress and more success. In other words, how to take the growing pains out of growth. I'm Marcia Zidle, your Smart Moves coach, getting you on the right track, keeping you on the right track, and making sure you don't get sidetracked. Let me start with a Smart Moves quote from Jack Welsh the former CEO of GE. He said, you got to eat while you dream. You got to deliver on short-range commitments while you develop a long-range strategy and vision and implement it. The success is doing both, walking and chewing gum, if you will. Getting it done in the short-range, delivering it in the long-range, and executing it is what leadership is about. Well, listeners, to help us walk and chew gum at the same time is my guest, Dr. Yoram Solomon, the Vice President of Corporate Strategy for Interface Corporation and the inventor of Penview, talking about business strategy and GPS navigation, how to do it right. He will share his recent five-year journey since joining a 34-year-old public technology company in 2008 to its transformation in 2013. I'm excited to hear his insights on real-world strategic planning, the process, the challenges, and the lessons from its implementation. Welcome, Yoram. It's a pleasure to have you on the show.
3: Oh, thank you, Marcia. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
2: Well, let's get right to it. You made an interesting analogy between strategy development and GPS navigation. Can you elaborate on that?
3: Sure. Uh, It actually is a funny story how it started. Uh, I was asked by the Dallas Regional Chamber to advise their Innovation and Technology Council on uh, setting direction to that uh, specific console for the uh, North Texas or Dallas region. And uh, I I had the process in my head, but but I needed to explain to them how it's implemented. And and the best way I thought of was an analogy, and and the GPS navigation system was the one that came to mind. So what I meant by that is when you enter your car and, and you start using your navigation system, The first thing that navigation system does is try and locate where you are right now, because you can't get to where you want to go without knowing where you are now, because otherwise there's no point in in turning left or right. You need to know where you start. And and that's the first part. The the second part is obviously uh, nobody enters a car and says, uh, take me somewhere. You start with, where do I want to go? You enter your destination. Then the third thing that you do with a navigation system is you determine the boundaries of how do you want to get from here to there. So, for example, you say that you want to choose the quickest route or a toll-free route or the scenic route. And, And that's the boundary. And then comes the strategy, which is, okay, I know where I am. I know where I want to be. These are the boundaries of how I'm willing to get from here to there. Let's find how we get from here to there and and you apply that on a business, you have to start with where you are. You have to understand what are the assets that you're going to carry uh, into where you want to go. Then, obviously, you need to determine where you want to go. What 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 is your final destination? What are the boundaries? What are the things that would define what strategy is a good one and what's a bad one? And then how you go from here to there. So this is kind of how I used. the... Uh, the the GPS navigation system analogy uh for, for implementing strategy.
2: You know, Yoram, that is the best uh explanation of strategic planning I have heard. Uh, in a long time because it is, it's something we can identify with and I think that's what's important is that we, give, we uh, give business owners and entrepreneurs things that they can identify with and also use immediately. So still on that GPS track, okay? Uh, why is it so important to know where you are now if you already know that you want to end up somewhere else?
3: Well, that's a great question. The um, if you start, if you take a company, you know, if you had no background, you had no baggage, uh, then then you, you don't nothing. Nothing holds you, but nothing also advantages you. You want to take advantage of what you have. Now. Moving far away from where you are now, the furthest you get, if if you go to places where you don't have any of the core competencies, any of the skills, any of the other assets, tangible or intangible, the further you get from where you are now, the harder it is, the harder it is, and the lower the probability of success. So knowing that you can leverage what you currently have. For example, you have certain intellectual capital. You have people with certain skills. Uh, you have, for exa- example, digital signal processing skills. Use them. Try and define where you want to go in terms of here is something that I can use. Here is something that I can leverage. And, in fact, when um, uh, when we took uh, Interface uh, into Penview, Uh, We looked at a company that has very strong capabilities in electronics design. It has strong capabilities in manufacturing, high quality manufacturing. Uh, We had several things that worked in our benefit, but we were missing certain things such as, uh, for example, a skill in digital signal processing. But adding that one skill that helps you get to a destination as opposed to adding a whole wide range of assets that you don't have, make it so much easier. So knowing where you are right now and using that to determine what is a good strategy, what is a good destination, not just a strategy, uh, helps you get there. It it increases the probability of you getting there.
2: Well, I think an important point you brought up is that every company needs to know what their assets are, and that includes people as well. It's it's both... um, Uh, the 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 resources they have and the people and at the same time also understand their what I would call weaknesses or things that the liabilities or things that they have to bring on so is that you know I I, to me that's very important Um, do you think it's uh, it's important as well
3: Oh, oh, definitely. And so when I, what I meant by intellectual capital were the people that we have here. And mm-hmm. so we have some of the world-class electronic designers. Uh, we have the world-class manufacturing people and, and team here. And, and I looked at them and I said, you know, I, I had no idea. When I joined this company in 2008, it was kind of a funny story. I, I uh, presented to the board of directors. I presented the CEO to the uh, rest of the executive team. And... Uh, I told them, here is the process. This is the process we're going to go to. And uh, I titled it Vision 2013. Uh, And they asked me, so what kind of uh, product line or or business are we going to enter? And I said, I have no clue. I have (laughs) no idea. The only thing I knew was that this was the process. But the process really started, as as I said, uh, the first couple of months was meet with all the people that we had here in each one of our facilities. Uh, This is a... Uh, It was a multinational uh, company as well, but in each one of the facilities, meet the people and just write what are the people that we have, what are the capabilities, the skills that they have, what can we take forward. And, And as I went through that process, it helped me define what kind of futures can or what kind of destinations can we go to.
2: So what you're saying is, and I think we're getting into that process of strategy development and interface that that you started talking about, is that first um, assess what you have, what 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 do we have that we can bring to the table, uh, and and so I would imagine your first couple months is that you really got to know. Uh, what the company was about because you were new to the company. So can you tell me more about that process of strategy development at Interface?
3: Yes, of course. Uh, So I I joined uh, very late in 2008. It was November and uh, as I mentioned, the first couple of months was to meet with all the people and understand the assets, but it also to understand the essence of the company. And mm-hmm. this is where one of the major realizations came about. We have our own manufacturing facility, and we build products, and we sell products. So by definition, we are a product company. It took about a month or so to analyze the products that we have versus the customer set that we have, and as you start correlating, you start realizing that there is a product per customer, and when there is such a high correlation of a product, or or let's call it product A to, to customer B, product C to customer D, but you don't get product C to customer B. You find mm-hmm. this distinction and you realize that we're actually, even though we build products, we're not a product company, we're a service company, and our specialty is customization. Uh-huh. And I think it was uh, it was a pretty strong realization to uh, both the, the CEO and uh, the, the board of directors that, that we're not the company we thought we were, and it also helps, it, it always helps to have an external set of eyes, pair of eyes, and I was as external to the company as could be, to give you that, that realization, if that makes sense.
2: Yes, it does. And boy, that must have been quite a surprise. Um, how did they take what you were saying? Uh, did they just grab hold of it, or did they? was there some pushback and resistance?
3: Well, one of, uh, I think, the biggest fortunes that I had with this company was that this was a company that really listened and and it it started with the CEO and and it went to the board of directors and and the other VPs uh, that that they really kept an open mind and when I came back and said look you're we're we're a service company we're not a product company uh, what they said was not no you don't get it You, you don't understand that what they said was okay we can see how you got there what does it mean, and how can we use it? Uh,
2: so it then really you, helped. so then you went from, um, from the analysis to now. What do we do with your analysis? Correct. It, and we have it. about about another minute, so maybe you can summarize that, and then we can come back after the break. Okay.
3: That, that would be great. So really what happened was after that, we went on an offsite that was in August of 2009. All the executive team, uh, we defined what kind of future we want to have. Uh, in, in that three-day offsite, you'll, you'll be amazed at what we, we did. And uh, we can back, get back to that uh, in more detail, but we came back with a strategic intent, strategy boundaries, and a strategy to implement it.
2: Okay, and um, why this is a good stopping point. Uh, So, um, listeners, it's time for a break. Um, This is Marcia Zidle, your Smart Moves Coach. You're listening to The Business Edge, taking the growing pains out of growth on Voice America, uh, the Business Channel, and uh, my guest, Dr. Yoram Solomon, will return. Uh, with more insights into business strategy and focus on what was what was the learnings and what were the decisions made uh, after that three day offsite. So stay tuned.
1: Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now visit facebook.com forward slash voice america or search for us at keyword voice america
4: self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics.
1: The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Business Edge with Marsha Zidle. To reach Marsha or her guests on today's show, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send us an email to Marcia at smartmovescoach.com. Now, back to The Business Edge.
2: Welcome back, listeners. My guest is Dr. Yoram Solomon. And he is an expert on business strategy. And when the last thing we talked about was um, during that uh, uh, off-site retreat, um, one of the things that evolved from that was uh, the strategic intent. And so, um, uh, Yoram, can you tell me more about that?
3: Yeah, th- this was uh, actually uh, a very revealing uh, story uh, about strategy. I remember that this is a 34-year-old company at the time, back in 2009, and uh, we're about to go to the offside. That was right before, and uh, I had everybody read an article called Strategic Intent by Hamel and Prahalad. and they read that, and then I asked them, and, and at that time the executive team has an average tenure of more than 10 years. With mm. the company. So, so they, they got used to see the company in, in the same perspective, with the same lens. And, and I asked them, try and get yourself to as objective as you can be to look at the company from the outside, even look at yourself from the outside, and tell me, what do you think the strategic intent is? And we, we had about a week for that, and we came back. And overall, the consensus was, that there was no strategic intent. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, you know, me being the closest thing to an outsider as possible, I was with the company for less than a year at that time, I told him, you know what, here is my insight, here are my two cents. You do have a strategic intent. When I look at you and when I look at our manufacturing facility and everybody here in this company and what they do, what it feels like is that your strategic intent is to survive, And you have done a great job at it for 34 years, but it's time to adopt a new one. And in the first day, in that offside, the first thing that we worked on was I asked a set of questions. The first question was, what do you like about this company? Always easy to start with the like. Uh What do you like about this company? And and there was a good list there. And then what do you not like? And the second question was, what do you like about the market and what do you not like about your market? What do you like about where you are in the value chain and what do you not like? That set up the discussion for later that evening and actually through the night to come up with, here is what we want to be when we grow up. And again, this was a 34-year-old company at that time, but here is what we want to be. And that was the strategic intent that we came up with.
2: And... What was it? What do they want to be?
3: So the the interesting thing is that we realized that as a telecom building block manufacturer, we were so far down the value chain that the final users, the end users of our products, really don't have an appreciation to the value that we bring in. Mm -hmm. In fact, there is a high probability that this phone call that we're placing Uh, this radio show goes through an interface product. Somewhere along the way there is an interface product, but as users of this technology, as consumers, we don't know that, and we don't appreciate the value. And one of the main things that came out as part of our strategic intent was we want to build products that the users appreciate. Mm. And this is where we came up eventually. that, That was leading towards eventually coming up with PenView a product that users really appreciate, that we're not hidden five layers down in the value chain.
2: Ah, Very interesting. Um, And, and, you know, the next question that comes to me is, um, how hard is it to change direction of a 34-year-old public company? Because you're taking it down a different road now, aren't you?
3: I am, I am, and uh, this uh, this actually goes to my first interview with the CEO before uh, I ever received an offer uh, to join this company. I asked him a question, and, and it's funny because years later he remembered that question. He said that was a weird question <laughs> because I asked him, "What are you afraid of?" And mm-hmm. he said, "Nobody ever asked me that question. What do you mean? What am I afraid of?" And I said, "What? What are you afraid of with this company?" And his answer was, uh, I'm afraid that our market is going away and we need to have something else. We have to have something new or else we shut down in a few years. And to me, and, and, and this happens a couple of years later when I finished my PhD and, uh, and my dissertation, I found that companies that adopt new and different strategies, companies that are willing to take risks, companies that give autonomy to their employees, are companies who are afraid for their survival. And so the fact that this company, starting with the CEO and, and even the board of directors, was afraid to eat survival, made them take that risk and change direction. And that direction is, is orthogonal to what this company used to do and, and still is doing. We are still building telecom products, but we're, we just entered education technology, which is as far from telecom as possible. But it was because this company, to start with, was afraid for its survival, and as a result, adopted a
2: new direction. It's like you're saying, and I think it's, not, uh, it's relevant to companies and it's relevant to people, that in order to change, we have to feel some discomfort. We have to feel like, oh, um, that this job can go away, or we may lose our market. Um, do you find that's true, that we have to have, feel a little discomfort before we take a risk?
3: Oh, oh, definitely. I'll, and I'll go back to my uh, car analogies. Uh, I, I asked a person, someone I was trying to make that point of, of the importance of fear, and, and I asked that person. He just bought a new Mercedes E-Class, and uh, it was brand new. And I asked him, this was the first per- time that that person met me, and I asked him, can you give me the keys? Would you mind if I drive the car? E- even with you in the car? And he looks at me with, with this strange look, and he says, I'm not letting you drive this new car. <laughs> And I said, Let, let's try and uh, imagine a different scenario. You just broke your leg. Uh, you're going to go to a hospital uh, to get this fixed, but this parking lot here is not where you want to leave this brand new car. Would you mind giving me the keys so I'll drive your car home? And he said, sure, take the car. And I said, well, what changed? It's the same car. I'm the same person. You're the same person. But it's the fear of what might happen to the car that makes him all of a sudden be willing to accept that risk of me driving it. It was better than the other, than the alternative. So it works on people. It works on companies.
2: That is a great story. Uh, And I think I'll I'll always remember that one. Um, But let's move on. Um, You know, we're talking about strategy and strategic intent and strategic planning. Um, Could there be different strategies to reach the same end goal?
3: Well, that's, uh, there could. There definitely could be. Uh, and this is where, if I go back to the GPS analogy, this is where we go back to uh, the, the boundaries. So mm-hmm. when you define that, you're going to have to come up with a strategy, which is really the road to get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when you define that you want to take the fast route versus the cheap route, toll-free route, versus the scenic route, you have defined which strategy would be acceptable uh-huh. and which one would not because as you know even when driving there there are different ways to get from a to b you know that the end is b but there are different ways the only question is what are the boundaries what what are your criteria for defining which way would be better
2: um and 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 so um there's not i think there's not one right way it depends on many different different elements in terms of the company, the resources, the assets, uh, the market, and everything else. Um, and I think that's a really good point because there, some people say this is the only way and probably there were m- different ways to uh, reach the goal. Um, but now let's move on to um, some of the biggest challenges in executing the new strategy. You have the new strategy now. What were some of the, the biggest challenges?
3: Oh, we, we didn't have any challenge whatsoever. It's, <laughs> it's easy to implement a new strategy. Well, the the thing is that while I said that the executive team and the, and the board of directors uh, were uh, on board with uh, were taking a new direction, um, one of the challenges is that not all the employees are on board. Yes. Some of the employees... Uh, are not willing to face the fact that uh, our current business is going away, that the market is changing, the dynamics of the telecom uh, industry are changing. Uh, some of them are not willing to accept that. And, and you had to win one by one. You, you can't just come in and say, well, that, that's how we're going to do it. You have to win one by one. Um, Taking example from from a previous company that I was with, um, you sometimes uh, go in and uh, and your executive is not willing to accept the change. Uh, that wasn't the case here. Another one is uh, again uh, you you're going in a brand new future. Uh, you don't know as much as uh, you do on your current market. There's always the evil you know. It's uh, the devil you know. It's it's easier. It's easier to deal with uh, versus what you don't know. Uh, uncertainty is uh, is problematic. Um, but uh, and I think the last one was really, as I said, we didn't have all the skills. We didn't have all the assets that we needed, and we needed to start hiring. We needed to enter a few areas we were not very comfortable with. Uh, those, those were probably the main challenges.
2: And... Um... Uh, did you do anything in terms of helping the people uh, adjust to the change? I mean, the people who are there, bringing new people in, um, they're coming in without a history, and so they are willing to to go in whatever direction that the company's going. But what about the people who've been there? You said some have been there for ten years. How did you uh, how did you deal with that? Was there much resistance? Um, and what did you do with that?
3: Well, it's. Uh, I remember the first week that I joined the company, uh, we celebrated one of the employees' 20th anniversary, mm. and, and that's when you realize you just joined a 34-year-old company. It's not, <laughs> this is not a startup. Uh, there, there's baggage, and. Um, it it varied uh where uh, you know the squeak, squeaky wheel gets all the grease and uh some of the the people just jumped and said hey we, we appreciate the fact that that our current market is going away or changing we <laughs> do want to jump on this new direction uh you you, fight, you you grease the ones that don't the the ones that uh that don't think that uh, that they need to change and, and several things happen. One of them is some of those people uh, phase out, uh, whether mm-hmm. they decide to phase out or uh, you know their skills are no longer needed. And, and we went through that. Um, some of them, uh, you, you can't force someone to adopt a new direction. You you, you can't. Uh, you you have to win them over. Uh, one of the tricks that I found uh, were working is uh, you, you go to a person who's currently working on another project and you tell them, uh, "Look, I need you to work on something, but here's the deal. you can't tell anybody that you're working on it because it's <laughs> new, and uh, if you tell somebody and somebody finds out, uh, you can get in trouble. Little did I know that this is actually a value proposition. But that's very
2: them. Very interesting. Um... Uh, so uh, why don't you hold that thought because it's it's time for a short break. Uh, this is Marcia Idol, your Smart Moves coach. You're listening to The Business Edge, taking the growing pains out of growth on Voice America's business channel. And my guest, uh, Dr. Yoram uh, Solomon, will return with more insights on business strategy and even change management. Stay tuned.
1: You can also send us an email to marcia at smartmovescoach.com. Now, back to The Business Edge.
2: Welcome back. My guest is Dr. Yoram Solomon talking about business strategy and GPS navigation. Um, Yoram, um, you... Earlier, you, you talked about that you were interviewed in 2008 with the company's board of directors and you presented them with the vision uh, 2013 plan. Did you know what new business you were going to enter or, uh, or propose? And, you know, it seems like you were very confident that you could launch a new business in 2013. So, why, did, why does it have to take four years?
3: Well, first of all, I was right. We are launching a new business in 2013, so that's the best testimony. But the thing is, in 2008, I, I couldn't tell. I, I didn't know. And uh, I presented to them a process. And, and this is a process that I have refined through the years of uh, this is how long it takes. And um, I, I presented it, and uh, I called the that The official title of the project was not Penview because I had no idea that this was going to be the direction. It was Vision 2013. And it was about uh, – I took a framework actually from uh, – and this is going to be a shameless plug – from the book I wrote called Bowling with a Crystal Ball, where <laughs> you predict or forecast the future of technology and ask yourself where are the opportunities now. And the process takes four years because you have to, as I said, first understand who you are, what are the assets that the company is going to take forward into a new business. But then the second part is uh, after you defined the uh, the strategic intent, the, the destination, and the strategy, the, the strategy really defined what are the characteristics of the market that we want to enter. It's not the specific market. It's the characteristics of the market. One funny anecdote is um, that you know how typically a startup company, you're looking for a market as big as possible. And and I always ask people whenever I teach strategy, I ask them, uh, what would you rather be, a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a large pond, where the pond is the market the, the total available market and the fish is, is what's your market share, the size of the fish. And most people would answer a small fish in a large pond because they want a huge market. And I always tell them, no, define a, a pond or a market that you can enter and become the big fish. If the market is too big on you, you know nobody ever gets fired for choosing IBM. If you're going to maintain 1% of the market, somebody is selling 99%. Why would anybody buy from you? So one of the things was we defined a the market. There was about two to five hundred million dollars ended up being a market that's a little bigger than a billion at the time. But all those pieces fell in place as part of the process. It wasn't until February of two thousand and ten that I realized that education technology is the market and interactive uh, uh, displays is the specific application that we're going to go after everything up to that point was just a process defining the characteristics of what would make a good strategy for us
2: so now we're up to february 2010 um quickly take us up to the point of where where you are today
3: well, uh, since February, uh, February uh, was, uh, again, and, and this is the, probably the subject of a completely new, uh, <laughs> new program on uh, how, where great ideas come from, but at that point, I'm, I'm holding a marker in my hand explaining to someone the problems with interactive whiteboards, and that person, uh, as I'm explaining to that person, all of a sudden I realize, what if I put the camera in the pen? And that's where the idea for Penview came from. And uh, March of that year, 2010, uh, filed the first patents uh, that since then were granted. Uh, In May, I started hiring people for the skills we did not have and converting, starting to move people who are currently in the company with skills that uh, we needed for this program to move into this new product line, Uh, started building a business plan. Uh, It wasn't until July uh, of 2010 uh, when I presented a business plan to the board of directors, to the CEO, the the executive, uh, and got the the blessing of the CEO and the board to to move forward. Um, The the program was very confidential initially. So uh, we had our people locked in a lab, and Mm -hmm. uh, the the lab was essentially locked. Now come to think of it, I probably uh, was a fire trap, but... um, the, the uh, other engineers uh, who were not involved could not go in. And uh, in November, if I remember correctly, of 2010, or no, November of 2011, up until that point, that was a confidential program. And only November of uh, 11, we opened it up and um, uh, started in, no, I'm sorry, it was November of 2010. We opened it up to the rest of the company, started working on it. And I would tell you that this is now the most the, the biggest effort in in this company is this product this product line
2: well you know um why don't we why don't you come back and and talk about the uh the evolution of Penview because you've just given us a quick little uh snippet of what it takes to t- from idea to uh, getting to to getting buy in to developing to getting the resources and to actually uh, getting it to market so um but let's go back to the company and looking at interface now, what role does uh, the, its current strengths and weaknesses play in devising a new strategy? Uh, how do you go from a company's current line of business and skills and competencies to where you, where you want it to go?
3: Well, obviously, uh, but by the way, I'd, I'd love to join in another uh, program on Penview. there's uh, one of the things I love to talk about. One of the top three things for me are Penview, radio-controlled airplanes, and my family, my daughter. But um, the uh, as far as the company and um, as far as what you take forward, th- there's always the possibility of scorched earth. We're starting something completely different. We don't need anything with us, but as I, I said in, in other much smarter people than I am said before me, uh, the further you are from, uh, the further you want to go from where you are now, uh, the lower the probability of success is. And somebody actually quantified it in research. I just don't remember the numbers. Uh, on, the, on the other hand, if you're trying to do exactly what you've been doing for years, then, then really your probability of success is low in coming with something new. So you have to kind of keep the balance and to me, I, I drew three circles. And I remember back in July, I drew through uh, July of 2010, three circles. One of them was, what are we taking with us? What do we have that brings value right now that is required for Penview, And that was our engineering capabilities, high-quality manufacturing, high-quality uh, control, and uh, an established company, uh, that That was a great platform for coming up with new products. Those were things we took with us. Then the second question for me, or the second circle, was what do we need that we do not have but is core to the development of Penview and the discipline of uh, digital signal processing and more specifically embedded computer vision was an engineering discipline that we did not have, that we needed to have. It was core to the company for Penview and is going to continue and be a core for the company uh, to where we're going to go after Penview. So that was the second circle. And then the third circle, there's always things that we we didn't have that – we're not core for the development of the company as a, as a whole or the product uh, but we're still important that we didn't have that we outsourced so mm-hmm. moving forward from where you are to where you want to be to me was three circles what do we take with us where what what are we good at that we're going to take with us that's required what do we need to hire and grow that is mm-hmm. core that needs to be part of the company and what do we uh, outsource uh, to other? And, and, you know, things like optical design, for example, we outsource, and a few other things.
2: Well, you know, the, the uh, I hope listeners uh, pay attention because th- this is a simple model uh, to look at um, your resources and to figure out what do we have, as you said, what is what do we have to bring in that's core, and what can we outsource? So the last question I'm going to ask you, because you are a... Um, a strategist um, you know what are some of the things you'd like to talk about being a strategist what are some of the issues that you face as a strategist
3: well first of all it's hard it's it's hard being a strategist uh, we you live in a world where where what's important is the current quarter you know i i like the quote that you provided from uh, jack welch of uh, general electric uh, who uh, you said he said uh, you've got to eat while you dream well, I'll, I'll pose the opposite. Uh, while you eat, you need to think about what you're going to eat tomorrow. And it's hard. It's hard being a strategist and focus your time, effort, and energy on what comes up tomorrow. Almost as if people look at you as if you completely disregard the fact that you need to eat right now. But to me, you have the rest of the company that deals with eating right now. I have to worry about eating tomorrow. And as as hard as it is to push sometimes uh, something that would only yield results in the future, uh, that's that's probably the hardest part of being a strategist. Uh, you you have to go not against the needs to eat today, but it's emphasizing the need to eat tomorrow, and that's hard.
2: That is hard because. Um You know, most of us look at where we are and say, okay, I have to deal with um, all these emails. I have to deal with uh, paying the mortgage. I have to deal with uh, getting out this next product or whatever it is, you know, to how how to satisfy our our customers. But I think what you're also saying is Mm -hmm. that a good – the leadership of a company – also has to look to the future and how they're going to eat in the future. so they're not caught by surprise. Exactly. Um, and the, exactly and I think you know too many companies have been caught by surprise and they haven't adapted very well. Um, any final thoughts before the end of uh, this uh, uh, this segment? anything else you'd like to say about being a strategist? We have about 30 seconds.
3: Yes, actually I remember in Texas Instruments uh, one year before I uh, joined the interface, uh, I was asked uh, to come up with uh, priorities for the next year and one of my boss's priorities was grow the business 20% year over year and I told her we need to grow the business. 100% in four years. And she said, that's the same thing, grow it 20% every year. And uh, cumulatively in four years, you're going to get 100%. And I said, no, it's different. When you look four years out, you have a completely new set of knobs and levers to pull and turn to grow the company as opposed to 20% year over year.
2: Well, that's a great note to end. Um, So it's time for a short break. This is Marsha Zidle, a Smart Moves coach. You're listening to The Business Edge, taking the growing pains out of growth on Voice America's business channel. When we return, uh, Dr. Yoram Solomon will have one, one final thing to say about business strategy and also how you can contact him. So stay tuned.
1: There's a saying.
2: Welcome back. My guest is Dr. Joran Solomon, and he's given us a great overview of business strategy and GPS navigation. So, uh, so, Joran, what is the one thing you want our listeners to take away about strategy?
3: I think probably the best is to end with the analogy that, that started this uh, this session, which is uh, GPS. You, when When you think about creating a strategy, Think about it as a GPS navigation system. What do you do? First, you need to know where you are. Take uh, take inventory of what you have. Two is you need to define very clearly where you want to go, just like entering a destination. Three is define what are the boundaries for a good strategy. What what would make you decide whether the strategy you're about to come up with is good or bad? And then only the fourth one is, so how do you get from A to B? So, Keep that in mind. I think it makes the development of strategy a simpler process.
2: Well, uh, thank you. And I know many of the listeners would want to contact you to get further information, to maybe even speak to their groups. So what's the best way to to, uh, connect with you?
3: Uh, Well, the first would probably be in our radio control club, uh, airplane club. But if you're not there... (laughs) then uh, first uh, go and look at our website penview.com p e n v e u com uh, for ideas about strategy uh, you can go to my own personal website which is uh, yoramsolomon.com that's y o r a m s o l o m o n a whole bunch of o's uh, you'll find their uh videos uh, issues of uh, about innovation entrepreneurship strategy there there are a lot of resources there is a blog there uh, You can read my book uh, again. My shameless plug: uh, Bowling with a Crystal Ball uh, to talk about uh, to read about uh, developing strategy based on knowing where the future is. Uh, In my website, you can find how to contact me, and uh, I'd be happy to answer any questions.
2: Well, thank you, uh, uh, Yoram. It was it was great, and I learned so much from you. And yes, you will be on my program again. So thank you.
3: Thank you. It was my pleasure.
1: It's time for Marsha's Musings, a tasty morsel of wisdom and wit to take the growing pains out of growth.
2: Conflict. Does it divide you or bring you together? In a recent program on getting people to work better together for the marketing department of a health care company, I said, Conflict is like an iceberg. That's what's, there's what's above the waterline, and there's what's below the waterline. When there is conflict, we usually see the symptoms, what's above the waterline. For example, chronic lateness, dragging one's feet, not paying attention, avoiding or ignoring requests, rolling eyes, etc. I'm sure you can come up with other symptoms. However, the real causes are down below which you need to identify and deal with, or else they will sink your team and your company. Here are the most common causes of conflict. Number one, perceptual differences, seeing things differently. It's when people view the same event and yet have different impressions. For example, in a crime TV drama, witnesses to a robbery might say, It was a tall guy with glasses. No, it was a short guy with a baseball cap. Not everyone sees the same situation the same way. Second cause, procedural differences, having different ways of doing things. How do you start a crossword puzzle? From number one and go systematically or start anywhere you can and work from there? Which is the right way? For many, They've been told this is the way to do it, but is it really the most effective way? Number three, third cause, goal differences, disagreeing about what is important. In many companies, sales and marketing is driven by quotas, getting more customers, while production is driven by quality, making sure it meets specific standards. The conflict arises when one group has priorities that don't coincide with the other. Fourth cause, role-based differences, disagreeing about responsibilities and accountability. Who does what? It's your job. No, it's yours. I make the decisions. No, I do. This happens a lot around line versus staff authority or corporate versus business units. And the fifth cause, personality differences, behaving and communicating in different ways. Someone is quick, shoot from the hip decision-maker, and the other is slower, more methodical. Or someone is task-focused and wants you to get to the point fast, and the other is very chatty before getting down to business. Different people, different styles. So, What was causing the most conflict for this marketing group? It was role-based differences. There was a lack of clarity as to who's accountable for monitoring deadlines, as well as who has final authority on marketing collateral and a whole range of other issues. What was the solution? The group came up with several suggestions. For example, Each individual taking responsibility to ask questions and verify clients' expectations. Using less email for communication with other functional groups and more personal interaction. And finally, getting clarification and support from management as to the department's responsibilities and authorities. And I must say, they are doing that right now. So here's your Smart Moves tip. Conflict is inherent in our differences, in people's differing backgrounds, perspectives, values, needs, goals, expectations, etc. Conflict by itself is neither good nor bad. It's the way we manage conflict that produces constructive or destructive results. Listeners, what are your thoughts about conflict? Does it divide or bring people together in your company? Contact me at Marsha M A R C I A at SmartMovescoach.com or call 972-380-9181. I want to hear your ideas.
1: You're listening to Marcia Zeidel, the Smart Moves Coach, making sure you're on the right track. And not getting sidetracked in your drive for high performance and profitability.
2: Listeners, next week's program is Taking the Pains Out of Time Management. Do you wish you had more time in the day? Are you ready to get more out of every minute? Do you want to be more effective? Dana Phillips, coach and time management specialist, will share valuable tips to help you get more out of your work day. You will learn to stop procrastinating and get things done and find out practical ways to set your priorities and keep them. Tune in Wednesday, August 7th, at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern to take control of your time and life. I'll end with my favorite saying, there are three kinds of people in this world, those who make it happen, those who let it happen, and those who asked, what happened? Which one are you? If you're highly motivated to make it happen, let me help you make it happen. Call me now for a free consult at 972-380-9181 or email me, marcia, M-A-R-C-I-A, at smartmovescoach.com. Thank you for listening. Tune in every week, 11 Pacific, for the Business Edge with Marcia Zeidel, the Smart Moves executive coach and speaker, helping entrepreneurs and business leaders take their company, firm, or practice to that next level with less stress and more success. In other words, how to take the growing pains out of growth. Remember, innovate, improve, ignite, or die. Make Smart Moves.
1: You've been listening to The Business Edge with Marsha Zeidel. Please join us again next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And enjoy taking your business to the next level.